I'm going to read from John 18 in just a moment. Um, just want to introduce our speaker uh, for the morning. Um, John and Andrea Stetson have been with us um, here at MCN since about January. So uh, John is a retired Nazarene pastor. He pastored for several years on the Metro New York District, and they have three adult children in New England. And so this is kind of a central location for them uh, to be close to uh, their kids. So again, John and Andrea have been with us and have been a blessing um, among us here since about January. So John, I know John's excited to have the opportunity to preach. We're excited to hear uh, what the Lord wants to say to us through John this morning. And I'm going to read the text from which he will share. This is John 18. I'm going to read verses 28 through 38. This is Jesus before Pilate. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked, Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied, Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews, gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. John, come and share with us this morning. Thank you. I was looking for a pencil to write about uh, God and the truth, and it just resonate with what I'm thinking today. Am I in the wrong place? We're good. We're here. So I have. If you don't know me, but I have certain habits, certain things that I do that that are normal for me. Things that help keep my life in order, that make me feel secure, like forgetting something every moment I walk out of a room. Um, one of them is that I keep my keys in a dish on my dresser and in my wallet right next to it so that when I go out to my car, I have my keys, my wallet, get in the car, 
And sometimes I get in the car and forget that I have forgotten to get my keys and I have to go back. But, but it's a habit. There are, there are things I think all of us have, uh, normal things that we do that, that help keep our lives in order, that, that, that are normal for us. But when, when we're away, Andrea and I, for a weekend or overnight, uh, sometimes I'm a little stressed by that because especially if we're f- with friends or relatives for, for overnight, uh, every household has its own normal practices and routines, and they are not usually my normal practices and routines. So even getting up in the morning, we're going to use this one? All right. So, so even getting up in the morning, uh, what do I do? Who puts on the coffee? What is the normal routine? This current pandemic has turned normal and expected upside down for many of us. I mean, think of it. Six months ago, if you had gone into a bank or a restaurant or a store with a mask on, people would have looked at you with suspicion, maybe even a level of fear. But today, if you go into that same bank or store or restaurant without a mask on, you'll be looked on with suspicion, perhaps some level of fear, and hopefully you'll be asked to put a mask on. If you don't have one, they'll give you one or sell you one. And if you still refuse, you'll be asked to leave. It's a new normal. Normal helps us to know how to act and how to interact with others uh, in socially acceptable ways. But when normal is radically changed, we become unsure of how we are to behave. I was at the gas station the other day. I was filling up my car. And what do you do at a gas station? You look, you make sure you're putting the gas in the right place. You look at the numbers going up and up and up and up and up. And, and as I was doing that part, I, I happened to catch the, the guy across the island from me at the next pump. And he's looking at me. And he has a mask on. I didn't have my mask on because I figured outside, socially distanced. And, and I don't know what he was thinking or what his, you know, his facial expression was because he had a mask on. But, but I began to feel uncomfortable. Like, was I doing something wrong? Is there another etiquette at a gas station that maybe I missed? New normal has not set in fully for me. I, I may be getting used to this new normal, and, and maybe we all are. But we're fairly certain that, that at some point down the road, there will be a new, new normal that will just look nothing like this one. In these days of stress and confusion, we would normally look to our political leaders or our news media for reassurance and accurate information. But the attitudes and behaviors, I don't know about you, the attitudes and behaviors of some of our, our, our leaders are adding to my stress and confusion rather than relieving my stress and confusion. Do they really know what's going on with this COVID-19? And if so, are they telling us the truth? And if so, which truth that they're telling us is the true truth? And as for our news media, it often seems that they are more interested on having us accept their opinions and their conclusions at face value than giving us hard, vetted information and tasking us with thinking critically to arrive at our own conclusions, our own understandings. How can we be certain what is true, and where can we go to find the truth 
And it seems to me we can only find truth, absolute truth, in the character and nature of God. As we read through the scripture, we find that God is truth, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God is continually drawing us to him, to the truth, leaving us to respond authentically, truthfully, having thought through critically to his call. And as we draw near to God and receive and and hold fast to that truth, we become who we are created to be, which is images of God, accurate, true reflections of God's character and God's heart and God's nature. As we are being transformed, we begin to know a new normal, a kingdom normal. And this kingdom normal, we find, as we begin to understand it, is neither uh, stress-filled nor confusing. It is the things of this world that are not normal. They are just images of the reality that is the kingdom of God. God's truth tells us that our ultimate future lies beyond our current limited experience here and now. We learn the truth that we will be resurrected in, with, and through Christ in God's timing. Knowing, really knowing this truth is a remedy for our stress and our confusion. So if we know the truth, and I think most of us know the truth and we believe the truth, then why doesn't this truth transform all areas of our lives? What is it in us that keeps us from reflecting the truth of God to the world? There are a number of reasons, but there's two I want to share this morning. I think they are main reasons. Uh, I refer to one uh, a little bit. Uh, uh, One is failure to think critically. We fail to think through things, find what things mean. And the second is folding under pressure. So failure to think critically, we're going to go back to Genesis. And I think most of us have a at least a very broad outline of, of Gen- Genesis 1, 2, and 3. We know, at least in round uh, figures, what happened there. Genesis 1, God created all things and he created them good. He created all things good. And then he stepped back and he looked at his creation and said, it is very good. And then in Genesis chapter 2, humanity... Adam was given a life purpose to work and keep the garden, cultivate it, maintain it. God's garden, under God's authority, sustained by God's power. God gave Adam one instruction, one thought, one thing to make sure he understood that his authority as gardener was under God's authority. It was God's garden, not Adam's garden. And he told Adam, you may eat of any tree, every tree, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For as soon as you eat of it, you shall surely die. And then Eve was made from Adam's rib. And we move into chapter three, where we see God's instruction is fully tested in an encounter between a most crafty serpent and Eve. The serpent starts, as the serpent always does, by testing what Eve understands. What does she really understand about God's instruction? And he says this. He said, did God actually say that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? 
And Eve said, no, silly. He didn't say it. No, she didn't say that, but I added it. We may eat of any tree, but that one tree, which is true. And then she adds this. If we even touch it, we shall die. And that's a problem. Eve had part of God's instruction right, but why did she add that part about if we even touch it? Perhaps she was flustered with this encounter that seemed a little bit uh, in opposition to God. Maybe Adam, in telling and relating this instruction to Eve, as a husband might, wanted to protect his wife and said, you know what, Eve? Don't even worry about it. Just don't even touch the fruit of this tree. And so she got that in her head. But this little change changes the entire intent of why God gave this instruction. And perhaps if Eve had thought it through, she would have known that. It moves the focus from God's relationship as authority over all things with his creation to a rule about what humans can and can't or should and shouldn't do. And the serpent understands all this. He's crafty. And so he pounces. He said, you will not surely die. And maybe in parentheses, not if you just touch it. But we also know that no one dies in Genesis 3 because it's Genesis 4 where Cain and Abel are born and the story continues on. But something died in that garden. Something died. And we'll get to that in a moment. The serpent says, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Well, here's the point, the point about critical thinking. Eve did not, for whatever reason, know what God really said. She misquoted God and changed the intent of his instruction. She didn't think it through. They were already like God. Humanity was created, male and female, in the image and likeness of God. They were already like God. She didn't call to mind that everything God had created, everything God had provided, was good. They were good. They already had knowledge of good. What they, they, the only thing they did not have knowledge of was evil. And if they didn't know evil, why didn't she ask the question, well, what is this evil you're talking about? You see the, the, the way the thinking could, could go and, and, and help us understand more about God's intention and our response? What they didn't realize until they ate the fruit was that disobedience, disobeying God's clear instruction, is a definition of evil. The fruit looked good, and so she ate it. It looked to give knowledge, so she ate it. And Adam, instead of stopping and saying, you know what, Eve, let's stop right now. Let's go to God and, and see if he can't fix this. He also took a bite. And their relationship with God was broken the fruit of evil, of disobedience. And that happens to us, followers of Christ at times. Too many Christians and good people 
but they don't know the Bible firsthand. They instead rely on what they've heard others say. Some read the scripture. And, and you know, there are people that I know in my lifetime who could quote a hundred verses from the Bible, but they don't know where they are in context and they rely on someone else's interpretation to tell them what it means. And I'm not saying it's not good to, to memorize verses. I think it's really important and helpful in our lives. But we also need to know what does it mean and where, where does it fit in in the context with the surrounding scriptures and with the overall story of who God is and our relationship with him. Some, um, it's essential that in all things we think critically about the heart and the nature and the character of God revealed for us in the life and teaching of Jesus Christ, who is a prime example or the prime example of critical thinking. He rarely asked, answered a question that was asked as it was asked. Instead, he looked for the question underneath the question and responded. I have a friend who, who uses a story. Uh, you're probably familiar with the, the, the time that the Pharisees asked Jesus, you know, uh, is it proper or is it right to pay taxes to Caesar? And he goes, well, this is how I see it. Jesus was asked this question, and he, he's looking. He goes, you know, I don't have one of those coins that pay tax. Could you show me one of yours? And he looks at the coin, and he says, well, that's a really an interesting graven image on this piece of metal. Whose image is it? To which they say, well, it's Caesar's image. Well, give to Caesar what's Caesar, and think about whose image you are made in. We, he, he just didn't answer questions. He always answered questions with questions or dug deep to make sure he could answer the question. Well, we have, we have issues like that today. We're in the midst of the Black Lives Matters um, protests. And if someone were to say to you, well, what do you think of Black Lives Matters? A good response would be, I can't answer that. That's not really a valid question. Because do you think... Black lives matter? That's a question. Do you think that the issues at the core of this, this protest movement are, are valid to an extent or to a large extent or completely? That's a question. What do you think about the protests? That's a question. There's lots of questions that we could engage in conversation. But most people want yes or no so they can either agree or disagree to lift you up or put you down. We can't allow the secular world to frame our position on any issue. We need to get into conversation. We need to try to understand what's going on. But there is a secular religion out there. I maintain that. There is a religion out there that is a secular religion opposed to Christianity, and they're doing all they can to, to, to marginalize Christians. And if we don't take hold of our conversations, we are allowing that to happen. Thinking critically helps frame our conversations in a way that allows us to answer with truth and respond with God's truth and not allow ourselves to be boxed into corners. Well, that's 
thinking critically. The, the other issue is folding under pressure, and that's when we go to what Pastor Gary re read in John 18. Uh, in 18 and following, we meet Pontius Pilate, and he's governor of Judea, and he's a, a politician. He was responsible for keeping the peace, keeping the tax revenues flowing to Rome, and he had sufficient authority and resources to do that. And as any good politician will tell you, part of successful politics is working well with others, whether you like them or not. And Pilate has a not always friendly working relationship with the religious leaders in Jerusalem for their mutual benefit. And here are some of the issues that I see in this encounter between the Jewish authorities and or among the Jewish authorities, Pilate and Jesus. The Jewish authorities come, they have already decided back in chapter 11 that Jesus must die, he must be put to death. He's too popular, he's, he's threatening their position. And in fact, when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, they also include Lazarus. Lazarus is a problem too because he was raised from the dead. We need to get rid of him as well. Jesus teaching and acting with God's authority is a direct challenge to their authority their position, their privileged lifestyles, so Jesus must go away permanently. So in John's gospel, uh, just before Passover, the, the Jewish authorities deliver Jesus to Pilate's palace, but they will not go inside. That would make them ritually unclean and keep them from participating in the Seder that evening. They would go not go into Pilate's palace because of ritual uncleanness, yet they are plotting murder. There's like a commandment, right, somewhere? Thou shalt not commit murder. They bring Jesus to Pilate, but do not present any charges. If he hadn't, I think it was uh, in the NIV, not, if he hadn't done something criminal, you know, if he had not, if he'd done nothing evil, why would we have brought him to you? Of course he's, he's guilty of something but we're not going to tell you what. Their mantra is not, thy will be done, like Jesus said, but our will be done. And when Pilate tells them, you know, this seems like a religious issue, why don't you try them under your law? They refuse. Because the Jewish law won't give them, because it's under Roman law, the, 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 the ability to impose a death sentence. But Roman law will. So they'll rather follow Roman law because it'll give them what they want than Torah. Interesting. Although they do later, if we, we read in uh, Acts, or actually, yeah, it's in Acts, where they stone Stephen. That was not a problem. I don't know. Their fear, and here's the problem, their fear is that they will no longer get the prime seats at the banquets. They'll no longer get the free Super Bowl tickets. If people begin to work, worship in spirit and truth, they are worried how that might affect the temple treasury. These are big problems for them. But killing Jesus means nothing. They thought they had too much to lose. Jesus had to die. These religious leaders folded under the pressure to maintain their status and their position 
rather than fulfill their God-given roles to engage in worship and honor of holy God on behalf of their people. Pilate, too, folds under pressure. He does all he can to avoid taking responsibility for the crucifixion of Jesus. I find no guilt in him. To placate the Jewish authorities and to sort of defer having to act, he has Jesus flogged, beaten, and mocked. He offers to release Jesus as his his tradition each Passover, but the Jews call for Barabbas to be released. Pilate pleads with Jesus, just, just say you're not a king. Just recant. Just, just tell him it's all, all good, and it'll go away. But Jesus will not take the bait. He still holds firm. Thy will, not my will. Pilate folds under pressure of keeping Rome happy, keeping the peace in Palestine, in Judea, in Jerusalem, rather than acting on what he knows is the truth. Much like the Jewish leaders, his decision was to hold on to his position of power and privilege rather than holding on to the truth. And we too can be tempted to fold under pressure. I have been at times. Before I became a pastor, I, I worked in real estate and, and finance and mortgaging and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and I'm telling you, there are any number of times I was asked to do something that I had to say, no, I can't do this. I can't do it. Sometimes we're asked to do like that, something at work. Or for a friend who asks us to do something improper, if not downright wrong. I, if, if I don't do it, you know, I could lose my job. I had a, a wife and three young kids. What was I going to do? But she's my friend. He's my friend. How can I be a friend and refuse to do what my friends ask me to do? Rather than holding firm to the truth as God's images on earth, sometimes we give in to pressure at work with friends or at home. Other times we allow ourselves to be boxed into corners instead of thinking critically, unable to speak truth because like Eve, we haven't really put much effort into understanding what God wants from us and for us. We don't want to make a mistake. We don't want to say the wrong thing. So we say nothing. We do nothing. Opportunities to share the truth. God's love fizzle out. There's, there's, there's issues like that, that that we, if we think deep, can have appropriate answers to be presented at appropriate times for really difficult questions. We have one, it's, it's, it's such a common question, such a common issue 